0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the fateful and for the fateful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey Bruce.
1: Hey David, how are you doing today?
0: <laughs> I was reading uh, on the YouTube comments that someone said their favorite part of the comment or the podcast is when I went Bruce, so I, I put an extra flourish in it because of that.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, I read that too. Enjoy <laughs> We got a lot of comments on YouTube, it's... Uh it's surprising sometimes it seems to be an active ch-
0: place for commentary yeah few yeah. Rude,
1: few rude ones but mostly uh, supportive
0: there you go so bruce tonight the edmonton oilers to this afternoon the edmonton oilers uh they defeated the arizona coyotes they hated arizona coyotes a team that edmonton has historically struggled to to beat let alone stop but they stomped them today what was it 7 to 3 final score 7 to 3 very Very, very nice. Very nice. Um, The game wasn't close, largely because Arizona got zero goaltending at the start of the game. Um, I'll say. And uh, that's nice to see when that happens to the other team, I have to say, especially when it's Arizona. You know, they're on my five, like the five teams I like to see get beat. They're they're one of them. So, Um, good for, especially now that there's a tight playoff race here, right? Yeah. Arizona and the Oilers are now tied with 57 points each, but the Oilers have mm-hmm. two games in hand, and they have a game in hand on the Calgary Flames that are also tied there. So. We lost
1: good in for the Oilers.
0: Oh, good. Oh, that is so sweet.
1: Yeah.
0: So the Oilers are 6-3-1 uh, in their last uh, 10 games, Bruce. 6-1-1 one
1: one in their last eight, David. Ooh.
0: Yeah, it's been good ever since they switched those lines up and
1: yeah, I'm a motor called, up. called up. And since uh, then, they've only lost one game out of eight.
0: Yes, in player, player known as Yamamojo. That's what mm-hmm. I'm hearing. Okay.
1: <laughs> Sounds good.
0: My wife told me that today that she read that. People are calling him Yamamojo. So I like okay. that. That line's got the Yamamojo going on.
1: Do they um, ever?
0: Yeah, do they ever. Uh, so, Bruce, let's do our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast about okay. the game. What is your first are we going to have two? No, we'll just have one good thing each because um, well,
1: we're little a little good names. things. But well, I'm happy either way. I mean, I am just going to name two guys for my good thing then. Go ahead. Uh, the the uh, the uh, the sidekicks of uh, Riley Shane and Josh Archibald, who have been split up at even strength, but who remain a uh, a duo in uh, special team situations, including shorthanded and today also the empty net. Uh, and those guys kick butt today. Man, they, they're, they're bringing back uh, their, their, their teamwork at, uh, their, you know, their constant partnership in various situations. They're bringing back happy memories of uh, the, here's your mandatory 1970s sports reference, the old WHA Oilers duo of Mike Zook and Blair McDonald.
0: Wow. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> Did that actually come to mind, Bruce?
1: Sure does. That actually
0: popped into your head today. Yeah, yeah, watching. I
1: remember those guys. They gave me a good, warm <laughs> feeling a lot with their with their beautiful penalty killing and their effective play at even strength. Now, mind you, they scored a lot more than these guys did, but not today. Holy moly. Uh, Ronnie Shane in 490 career games before today had never scored more than two points in a game. Today, he doubled that with four points. And you know what? He earned his way. Like, he got three assists. He had two assists, two assists all season. And he got three assists in this game. And they were all gorgeous plays. And, I mean, I don't know what uh, uh, what his pregame meal was composed of, but uh, it was a sweet dish. It had to be. Because, uh, I mean, his first play with Archibald on the penalty kill, and to me, this was the play of the game. With the Oilers killing an early penalty to Sam Gagné. And in their own zone. And first of all, Chris Russell won a battle against uh, Phil Kessel. And then Riley Shane won a battle along the boards, and he and he drilled the puck off the ball off the boards, and it popped into the air to a clear the zone. But it turned out that it came down just perfectly in the path of uh, Josh Archibald, and Archibald beat none other than uh, the immortal Oliver ekman Larson from everything I ever hear about this guy. And uh, Josh Archibald left <laughs> OEL in a heap at the Coyotes' blue line, managed to control the puck, went in and put on a beauty deke and slid the puck five-hole through uh Antti Ranta. And that uh, put the Oilers on the board and it put him ahead to stay. And that, to me, that was the key play of the game. But, you know, Shane, he set up two other goals and he did it the same way with good control of the puck along the end boards, good reversal of direction, to gain some open ice, a uh, good identification of where to make the pass, and then a good pass. And both times the guy converted, uh, Gagne from the from the goal line, uh, Joachim Nigard from the high slot. Uh, he drew a penalty again against the immortal OEL when it looked like it even could have been a penalty shot when he got broke past, sped past uh, Ekman Larson and forced the diving defender to haul him down. Some thought penalty shot. I was happy to take the penalty at that point, to be honest, because it killed an Arizona penalty. Like, the worst scenario there was Shane misses the penalty shot, the Arizona power play continues, right? So it worked out okay. And then, of course, he sealed the deal with the empty netter in the third period, and he had four takeaways, a tremendous number of uh, takeaways, and dominated on the face-off spot, 11 out of 15. Like, he had a tremendous game. Uh and he had zero starts in the offensive zone, and yet he was the offensive star of the game. Like, this was a dream performance for him. And his buddy Archibald, you know, he played on the first line, made a great pass to McDavid for one goal, and then made a tremendous knockdown of a puck in the neutral zone and passed to Shea for the empty netter. So he got three points of his own. I mean, those guys got seven points. How long did it take them this year before the two of them had a combined seven points? Was it November or December?
0: Yeah. It took probably a long a Like they
1: had one point between them after about 15 games. I remember that. Well, they had seven points between them in this one game. So credit where due, both of them had a tremendous
0: performance. So, Bruce, you're sure that uh, they remind you of Zook and, um, and BJ McDonald and not Bobby Russell and Brett Callaghan? <laughs> Because uh, maybe it's those oh, two.
1: More Zouk and McDonald because Zouk was uh, a
0: bigger guy and Shane was a bigger
1: four, guy. Yeah, they were because f- they played five on five and four on five, and they, you know, they they just keep their partnership, um, th- uh, and that's what Zouk and McDonald did. This was before BJ; yes. he was Blair McDonald in the WHA they were,
0: years. They were both really good WHA hockey players. Were they ever? And they became were both they good ever? NHL hockey yes, players Mike as Zook well. Mike Zouk
1: was good with St. Louis Blues. Yeah. And B.J. McDonald, who had a whole bunch of 20 and 30-goal seasons in the WHA, had a 40-goal season in the NHL. So he, so, uh, he uh, turned into something of a sniper.
0: Archibald's success with McDavid, Bruce. Uh-huh. Right now, we have a, it's an interesting situation because we have Zach Cassian in contract negotiations. And there's uh-huh. a large faction of Oiler fans who are making the argument, you cannot pay Cassian for the McDavid dividend. You know, right. the, the extra points he's getting. Playing uh-huh. with Connor McDavid. If you're paying for that, you're wasting your money, because anyone's going to get that playing playing with Connor McDavid. And uh, you know Patrick Maroon put up excellent point totals with uh, Connor McDavid. Milan Lucic didn't, uh, but um, Zach Cassian is. But he got he, the
1: premium anyway.
0: He got the premium ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, but Archibald, you know, suddenly we see him making great plays, and I wonder what the common denominator in that whole thing is. So. You know, it, it. I wonder if it does give them a little bit of pause as they head into this final inking of this contract, which sounds like it's going to be inked soon. Um, oh, are sure they still they are. inked? I guess they are. Um, I wonder if it does. Does it give you? Does it give you pause? Oh. Does
1: yeah, I, I mean, uh, Mark Spector is talking about four years in the three point two five to three point five million dollar range, so Michael furland type contract, and. That's my prediction.
0: That's what Cal- I. That's what I've been saying all along. It's going to be the Furlan contract. Cassian will get the Furland contract.
1: Cal- I mean, Cassian in, in calendar 2019. Uh, so he was put together with McDavid around or beginning of January of 2019, and in the calendar year he played 82 games, over halves of two seasons, scored 26 goals, 24 assists, 50 points, and not one of those points was on the power play. 49 points at even strength, very good production. And and you know he's he's been making the most of his opportunity, but as you say, I mean the whole point of getting McDavid and paying McDavid twelve point five million dollars is that hopefully he can make other players around him better, that you don't have to pay a fortune for those guys also, because soon sooner or later you're going to run out of cap space. So,
0: uh, I, you know it's it's a tough situation. You know I think a lot of well, people who grind on the Oilers. Or mm-hmm. giving out too much money, or like they compare it to, like to the NFL, like to Bill Belichick. But you know, this isn't the NFL. It's a completely different set of rules around the salary yeah. cap, and it's a completely different set of rules around the importance of certain players. So when when I hear something like Connor McDavid really likes playing with Zach Cassian and and wants to keep playing with them, I mean, I think the NHL is actually more um, like the NBA, where the players have tremendous power. Mm-hmm. Um, more more than any other league right now mm-hmm. in terms of shaping a team and dominating a game. The NHL is not quite at that level because McDavid, his impact on the game will never be as great in a game, like over a season as the top NBA NBA player who just plays a lot more. The offense always runs through them. They just, they're just on the court more. But I just, part of me thinks you have to make the right call, but this isn't the NFL where you can be a total hard ass like Bill Belichick and throw people out the window here, left, right, and center. It's it's more of a balancing act, and it's a very, very. I'm gonna I'm saying this. It's a it's one of the most difficult salary cap balancing acts right now in pro sports, because you have the power of the stars, and you got to listen to them. So if McDavid wants this, you got to go. But if it, it nonetheless, if you make a mistake, it's gonna punish you like crazy. So. It's a tough one, Bruce. I don't have a, I don't have the answer.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is a tough one, and you have. Uh, it's not like the NFL where you can just cut a guy and make his salary cap disappear. Exactly. The NH- All the contracts are guaranteed in the NHL. Some of these three and four longer term ones for guys entering their thirties are, as we know from many bitter experiences, are the ones that'll bite you. So, given a 28 coming up, 29 year old power forward, a four year deal, that's a, there's a lot of risk inherent in that.
0: What what I'd like to see the last term the better. I like I'm not so worried. Like no, I'd, I'd like to see three two years. years, three years yeah. Two years would be two years at four million. Two years mm-hmm. if they said two years at 4.2 million, I'd think oh that's <laughs> good. Two years at that's that's a, that's that works for the Oilers. But when you get to three years, then that's that I'm hoping to hear three years. But I'm expecting to hear. I'm expecting to hear the Ferlin contract four years at three point five million. And um, when did Spec say? Because the last I heard a Spec talking about it was on Orders Now, and he said four years, three years at four million, or four years at three point seven five million was what I heard from Spec. Is there? Did he did he say something? uh, Maybe he said a lower amount. At least Uh, that's how I heard it.
1: His exact tweet. uh, I'm going to have to find it here. Is there
0: more? uh, Is there an update on it?
1: Yeah, this just came through. This just came through today, and uh, and you okay. know
0: I can see why Connor. Um, people can say what they want about you know toughness is overrated and and grit's overrated, but Connor McDavid's having his best year on the attack, and mm-hmm. part of it has got to be that he's been playing constantly with Zach Cassian, who is one of the most fearsome, intimidating players in the NHL.
1: Yeah, well, McDavid's uh, uh, even strength production is actually down from two years ago when when the power play was no good, and he still got over hundred points. Uh, um, Specter says likely range on Cassian contract: four years with an AAV of three point two five to three point five million. So, in other words, thirteen to fourteen million dollars total over four years
0: uh that if it's 3.25 that's lower than i'm expecting that's so my prediction Mm -hmm. is and i'm not saying what's right or wrong like that's a different question Mm -hmm. but i'm just saying my prediction is four years at 3.5 because they're very comparable players in a lot of ways furland was a few years younger than cassian but they had both put up good numbers uh playing with good Mm -hmm. players and they're both rough and tuffle rough and tumble big guys
1: I've heard uh, some people who's, uh, who are in the know talking about comparing it to Justin Abdelkader, who signed a seven-year deal in Detroit after putting up uh, good numbers. According to them, uh, given the opportunity to play with uh, Datsuk and Zetterberg, go figure, he had a
0: big Why? A why are they comparing it to Abdelkader?
1: Because Abdelkader got a seven-year extension like, ask, from
0: Are they from suggesting that going to
1: happen? From Ken mm-hmm. Holland after he put up a big year playing with big offensive stars that were driving the line and he was kind of taking advantage. So that's the comparable, not the seven years, but the fact that he got the big extension based on his performance when he was sort of pushed up the lineup. Uh, Fair enough. Subsequent...
0: So there's a huge difference between seven years and a four year. Deal. Well, yeah, that, the level of error that you make on a, the, the abdicator contract is as compared to what's being proposed from Cassian. that seems a bit of a stretch to me, like that kind of comp, like, I mean, if they want to argue that the argument is that Holland overpays.
1: Yes, um, and that, that that is the argument. Okay. And he had uh, uh, he had a couple of big years. I don't know exactly when he signed his contract, but uh, uh, he had uh, you know 71 games, 23 goals, 21 assists in 2014-15, uh, and that was right at the end of Detroit's long run. And he got a a long extension, and since then he hasn't really come close to matching matching those numbers and of course they're paying him and they're going to continue to pay him for a while
0: seven years
1: yeah i mean that was it's a bigger mistake don't get me wrong but it's the same uh it's the same general scenario where he uh he got put on a line with top offensive stars and his numbers spiked and then they paid him based on those numbers
0: of course a lot of those contract grumps would be saying that chris russell's been overpaid All Mm -hmm. these years, and I think they've gotten. I think they've gotten good value from Chris Russell. And when you put the numbers in evolving wild, you know, who uses just numbers, just metrics. They would. They Chris. Chris Russell could have got last year a similar contract last year than the one he had signed a few years earlier. He could have got a long-term deal at about the same amount of money. So I. I don't. uh, Anyway, Uh, my good thing. I give him my good thing yet. My good thing was um, Mike Smith. Bruce, he didn't have a, you know a spectacular game. He wasn't called upon necessarily to to save the game for the team because the team just uh, ran anti rant in it right out of net. But um, early in the game, where he's had some trouble, where Oiler goalies in the last few years have had a lot of trouble. Cam Talbot comes to mind again and again and again. Where you know where I'm sitting on pins and needles each game, kind of waiting for the first couple of scoring chat shots. Like honestly, are they going to go in or not? And when there's a big save and when, there's, when the goalie looks really sharp early in the game, I think, oh, the Oilers have a really good chance here. And they, and they often are going to win then. And Mike Smith came up with two really fine saves early on, One off Taylor Hall where he kind of got in alone in tight. And then there was a point shot, which was in some ways even better in mm-hmm. terms of goalie sharpness. Totally screened. And Smith got it and he, and he sucked in the rebound. When those goalies yeah. are, are sucking in the rebounds or putting him in the corner as opposed to bumping him back out into the slot, that's when a goalie's really hot. And Mike Smith is that right now? That was um,
1: that was a huge win. It was after the end of that. They just scored on the shorthanded play, and they killed the penalty nicely. But uh, as happened in the last game, after the power play expired, the Oilers couldn't get the puck out of their own end, and they started to suck wind. And uh, Arizona really started moving the puck around, and Oliver Ekman Larson. Had a bomb from, you know, just outside the top of the circle. But Taylor Hall was right in the goalie's face. And Smith, you didn't think he could even see it. But not only did he make the save, but as you say, he swallowed up the rebound. And he allowed those tired uh, penalty kill guys to get off the ice. I mean, bomb at that point, he was leaning over his stick. He was so tired during the play. That's never a good sign when you see a guy kind of hunched over his stick in the middle of the ice. All the puck zipping around, so that was that was that was a huge save, and uh, uh, you and I both identified it as a Grade A scoring chance, even though it came from fairways outside of the typical Grade A zone, just because of the, the complete nature of the screen that uh, that uh, Hall had put in on him. So that that was a very big save, because a the goal there, it's one to one, and that early momentum's gone.
0: All righty um let's move on to the bad things bruce what's your bad thing in this game
1: uh i'm gonna let you go first while i try to remember what. Oh, my okay my was. my
0: bad thing was that it's in the second period of the game
1: mm-hmm. You
0: hear something sizzling in the background uh my lily is my, making some salmon here and it's uh coming oh, out of the oven great. sizzling away sounds good. okay sounds, that's sounds fine good. no we're not we're, we're glad you're making it here
1: sounds good
0: yeah. yeah yeah you can smell it from there yeah i
1: <laughs> Skype, Skype was a wonderful thing, David.
0: It is. I know. The wonders of modern technology. Okay. Uh, okay, the Oilers were up at this point. Um, what was the score? Five five to one, I think. Mm-hmm. And they somehow... Oh, Mc, so McDavid, the puck's put into the Arizona end, and McDavid's charging for the puck. And Michael Chaput gets in his way, interferes with him, and McDavid bumps into him, knocks him over, and it's McDavid who gets the penalty. Like, that was the... And McDavid, like as they were saying on TV, I think Drew Remender was pointing out, he hardly uh-huh. ever complains, but he was really bitterly complaining and up. with total and complete justification. That was the <laughs> that was a it's just a terrible call. I know they're going to miss calls, they're they're going to yeah. be sometimes you're going to get it wrong, but how come on? The guy was trying to interfere with McDavid, he was making how many contact times with
1: does him? McDavid get interfered with in the year that they don't call,
0: so yeah, including
1: that play. Yeah, And then they call was. him for interference. And I, I understand why he gets upset, you know, just because, you know, if that's interference, then that's good. That should be good because that should mean an extra hundred power plays for the Oilers over the course of the year because McDavid gets taken down like that on a regular basis. Or, or worse. <laughs> but anyway, it was a bad was, call. And bad. it was uh, exacerbated across. when Arizona picked Nugent Hopkins on the power play to... Uh, enable the zone entry that led to the goal. So Nuge was barking at the ref too, and you don't ever hear that. And then the third period, Tippett was barking at that same ref, number three, and he was looking over and pointing at McDavid. I'm pretty sure he was talking about a penalty from the period before, saying, how the hell can you call that? And it was a very good question at that point.
0: Good good refereeing in a game is such a blessing to that game. Like, mm. it really is. And uh, when okay. it's not there, do you ever notice it? Well, okay, uh,
1: James Neal kind of got a soft call the other way later when the guy got a stick in and he kind of pulled it in, you know, to the body yeah. and made it look like a hook. So it kind of evened it up.
0: Okay. Anyway. What's your, did you figure out your bad thing now?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with the bad thing being this is a bad time for the orders to have a 10-day layoff. Oh, good. Now they're finally, uh, you know, rolling on most cylinders, uh, winning games, and, and they've really got their offensive game firing uh, on, on almost all cylinders, 37 goals in the last eight games since Yamamoto got in the lineup. And uh, it's just kind of, you know, it's, obviously they had to have a break sooner or later, but the timing of it's kind of crappy. So, uh, you know, I haven't got a whole lot bad to say about a team that just won a big divisional game, 7-3, to three. so I'll go with just... Just, uh, you know, the luck of the draw, the timing of the break, and uh, and uh, 10 days with no hockey, I mean, that's a bad thing.
0: It's interesting. The wild-card race, I see uh, Vancouver and Vegas from the last two spots with 56 points each. And those are both pretty good teams. And then there's Winnipeg, who we haven't seen a lot of, but um, I understand have not been that impressive. And I, I wonder if in the end, like... Um, if Winnipeg's going to be able to hang in there with these other teams, that's the team. If I had to bet right now, Bruce, on a team Mm -hmm. falling out, it would be Winnipeg. And
1: I'm not worried about
0: the, I I, I get you about this, you know, the scheduling botch Mm -hmm. up when they had so many games in December, but I'm really confident in this Oilers team. I just think they're a a good hockey team. And uh, as long as they get good goaltending and not any kind of really major injuries, they're going to win at least half their games that they play this year and get, you know, get not just Batman points out of it or whatever. They're going to, like, they're going to have a real 500 record. So I like this team, and I'm not that worried. You know, in other years where it seems more, there's always excuses, right? Oh, we got this big break in the schedule, and that threw us off. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like, this team seems a little bit more uh, excuse-proof, like a problem-proof. When problems come up, they're a bit more resilient.
1: i just like to see them keep rolling now that they're rolling. That's yeah, all. fair enough. Yeah, you know, I mean, in December when they were losing, it seemed like there was a game every other day, no matter what. And now, I mean,
0: they That's part two, of the reason they're winning.
1: Well, that's More that's rest, true, right? but yeah, and now everybody gets everybody gets a rest, but uh, they are heading. Uh, uh, they're certainly heading to the break on high, so that is that is a good thing. Yeah, and I guess we have a lot of. Uh, Bakersfield-Condors games during the break, so maybe we can look at a couple of those while we're waiting for the Oilers to take to the ice again. Yeah,
0: and I'm also going to be, I think, doing a podcast with Sean Patrick Ryan, Mm -hmm. um, who has uh, been watching the games and is going to weigh in on some of the prospects as well. I've got to set that up with him. Um, All right, right, let's move on to our numbers, Bruce. Do you got your number handy, or do you want me to go? Yeah,
1: I'm going to go with the number four.
0: Okay, Uh, four.
1: Four-goal, yeah, four-goal win by the Edmonton Oilers this afternoon, seven to three over a, over an op- opponent. By the way, uh, this is a different number, but plus one. The Oilers are finally on top of the goal differential again. They scored 153 and allowed 152, so they're actually plus again, finally. So that's good. Uh, four points from Riley Shane today, but most impressively, the Oilers, with a single win in January, jumped four places in the standings in the Pacific Division from 5th to 1st in a single game. Not a, I mean, how rare is that? I mean, wow. you might see that in the first week of the season kind of thing, right? When you, you know, you win a game and other teams haven't played or whatever, and you're moving around. Uh, but they they went from 5th to tied for 1st. And they had uh, 70, uh, they ha- it's like 57, 57, 56, 56, 56. It's like five teams within one point. It's unreal.
0: It is. And
1: they got a little help because Calgary got whomped 5-2 by Ottawa. Gotta like that. Have a nice break, Calgary, with that, uh, with that that's, sour taste in your mouth.
0: That's the customary present, Bruce, on the 8th. Day of uh, what are we calling Turtle it? Turtle Gate. Gate. On the Turtle eighth Gate. day of Turtle Gate, the Calgary Flames oh, no. lost. What?
1: Oh, uh, Vegas just tied Montreal with seven seconds left in the third period. Uh, I'm looking at the scoreboard, it was 4 2 for the Habs with a minute
0: and a half to go. So up. they may move into first if they win. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <sighs> seven seconds left. Jeez, thanks, Habs.
0: <laughs> Count on the half.
1: Yeah, that's why I've been keeping one eye on this other screen over here,
0: oh, okay. watching
1: the clock ticking Seven. down. Third period.
0: Maybe the Man. goal's offside. Um, all right. So 1952 is the third. Give okay, my numbers, Bruce. Are I got I got four. Two or quick...
1: four. There's my number four. For
0: <laughs> okay. I got two quick numbers. Yep, um, first and eighth. The Oilers remain first in power play. Uh, percentage in the nhl and i remember earlier this year it came up like we were wondering you know can they can they both keep both of these in the top 10 i think was what we were pondering at the time i think they were in both in the top five at that point which seemed a little unrealistic but i'm i'm hopeful that they can keep it in the top 10 so they're still first in power play percentage right now they are uh, clipping along at 20 30 29.7 percent. so it's a fantastic power play it really is uh, a bunch of creative players making uh, great passes constantly. And they're not perfect. You know, there's times I get frustrated. I, I notice Drysdale. When Drysdale gets a little tired, I notice he tries to force the pass through the middle, or they all do. They try to, instead of making the easy play, that might the, the easy pass that might uh, um, mean they have to do a little bit more work, move around a little bit more. When they get tired, they, they kind of stand there and try to force it into the middle. Uh, but other than that, like this is obviously... Uh, it's a f- spectacular power play. And uh they were really moving the puck well. And the PK is uh ninth, I believe. Yeah, ninth at 82.1%. And um there was a couple goals tonight. They were kind of weird ones. Um Smith led in a one an outside shot from Eckman Larson, and then there was the excuse me, the one where Nugent Hopkins got pinched, as you say. But the the PK has been really good too. And there's some stellar performers. You identified Shea and Archibald. Um Nugent- Excuse me. Nugent Hopkins has been playing well. Now we're seeing Gaytan Haas out there, but Oscar Klefbaum, Chris Russell, um, they don't get enough credit. Those two guys—they're just stalwarts on the PK. They're—they're they're killing it. Those two guys. And Clefbaum didn't always do that. I think his improved pl- play on the PK has been one of the um, hasn't been talked about much this year. But it's—I think it's really noticeable, and it's a huge reason for the improvement that we're seeing out there.
1: Yeah. Well, he's—it's funny, you know. He's. Uh... Uh, he's become the shot-blocking king that Chris Russell used to be, and, and Russell's hardly blocking any shots anymore. I mean, today he had one, and oh, really? it, you know his totals have dropped way off. But Klefbaum is like every game. Like today, five shot blocks, including one that didn't injure him, thankfully. Uh, that was the scariest moment of the entire game was Klefbaum taking one wasn't, in the hand.
0: Wasn't it? That wasn't same it?
1: kind of play that cost him 20 games last year. And uh, that's the sort of blow he really can't afford. But uh, he, uh, he he was out of the game for uh, the last few minutes, of second. And when he didn't come out for the third, I was just going, oh, no. Yeah. And then he showed up about four or five minutes into the third, and he didn't look any the worse for wear. So hopefully, uh, whatever it is, he's got 10 days to heal. So maybe that is a good thing after all.
0: There you go. They can all heal up. I don't think they're mm. particularly beat up right now. They, they haven't had a particularly... Uh, full schedule through january but you never know all right uh, well bruce we'll get together this week and we'll do a couple different podcasts probably you know maybe if cassian signs we'll do one on that mm-hmm. um, we're apparently itching to talk about it seeing, seeing how it interrupted our podcast
1: well but, uh, it's news tonight it, it was is. on the second intermission of hockey night in canada you know so oh, all this right? news makes it to, yeah friedman was talking about it friedman well
0: what, uh, do you know did he cr- give numbers do you recall uh, he
1: was he was uh, he was crediting specter Okay. And giving Spectre's numbers, and he said Mark's been all over it. And uh, yeah, uh, so he said, I mean, "Just make sure that credit we're due." It's spec, and then I'm just sort of giving you what he's given all of us. So yeah, uh, he. Uh, uh, but he thought it was significant enough, and I mean, it is significant. Anytime someone signs a multi-year, you know, an eight-figure contract of any kind, that's uh, that's big news, no matter what team, what player it is. Yeah, if
0: it's four years. Man. if it's four years let's just hope there's no new, no movement clause in the last couple of years like please. let's yeah please yeah. okay well Bruce, yeah. we'll uh, we'll be back talking about that and about uh the bakersfield condors we're going to watch a couple of games mm-hmm. probably so uh thanks for but uh, thanks for talking tonight
1: yeah thanks for listening everyone enjoy the break
0: and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast